Hello, and welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Segura. We're back. We're back. Back, back, back. Um, and this are week we, you're talking. Was are we more back than the Bulls, or are we less back than the Bulls? Uh, right now, I'd say <laughs> more back, but we're just gearing enough for playoff time. So, All right, yeah. gearing enough for playoff right. time. Yeah. Um, this week we're talking short poems. Poems are usually pretty short. But we're going like microscopic here. Um, the uh, the gut punches that are jabs, not hooks, if you will, uh, to bring violence into poetry. <laughs> um, Bob, if you had to guess, how long would you say your average poem is? Like, what range of line length do you typically? You know, I uh, I was handwriting a poem of mine to send to a friend yesterday, because that's the thing I do apparently. Not that often, but um, I had that moment where I had assumed it was not that long, and then I'm realizing that I'm going to run out of lines on the back of a page of paper, mm. um, so I try and shrink my font, so they, the bottom part of it looks really, really bad. Um, apologies to Dianelli. That letter's in the mail. <laughs> um, but uh the show, Dianelli. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that happens to me a lot when I try and think of, of length of a poem and go like, oh, actually, this is getting longer than I want it to be. Um, so I'm going to say 25, 30 lines. But that sounds like a lot to me. I don't think they should all be that long. Um, That's how long you feel like you get to? I think so. Really? Yeah. Is that like first draft? Because I've, I've read your chapbook and your manuscript, and I can't think of a 25-line poem. Well, that's, I mean, it's the average, huh. <laughs> you know, it's like LeBron. He's never actually had 27, seven and seven. <laughs> um, no, I really don't. I mean, honestly, when you first said it, I was like, oh, you know, they're all a little bit longer than a sonnet, which a little bit rings true still. But I feel like it 14 lines is, is really compact, actually, when you do kind of like count them up. Yeah. 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 I, do, I think I'm I'm wordier than a lot of people I admire. Um, sure. We've talked. We've talked on here plenty about how much I like that efficiency um, yeah. of space and language, et cetera, et cetera, um, and something I always aspire to. So I feel like I'm going on long more often than not. How about you? Uh, so I feel like I am generally in the like I'd say eight to twenty range. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my current manuscript is th- the the idea right now is three long poems i'm shooting for like 20 page poems um but they also they get broken up on the page there's a lot of okay. white space and stuff sure, so, sure 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 um so yeah i kind of like I, I don't know it varies like i like experimenting with long form things but i'd say if i'm writing a poem it's yeah in the 8 to 20 range um i did as an exercise by a um one time, one summer in college, uh, bought like a really small notebook with, I think, like just eight lines because it, it was like pocket size and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was just like, this is going to get me to write shorter poems. And I ended up just filling up both pages, <laughs> <laughs> like on each side of the notebook. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I guess, yeah, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm sitting down to write a lyric, I'm eight to 20, I would say. 
So the question is, as you like guided us into the concern of longer poems, which is harder to write, a truly short poem or a long poem? Both? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, so the, the type of poems we're talking about today, I don't know how to write. Agreed. Fully agreed. I don't know how to write anything under eight lines, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that's a special skill. And I don't even really know how to evaluate them, really. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's a it's a know it when I see it thing when I like a short poem, you know? Right. Because um, I never know if it's like, oh, this is a good poem or, you know, like, this is a poem that uh, is just like a, a single gimmick or like a Hallmark card or something like that. Right. Know? Right. I mean, I was going to say it's it's the thing that to me among, you know, poets I like and poetry I like that edges up as close as possible to like what Instagram poets are doing. And I don't right. like entirely throw out, you know, a group of writers um, that I admittedly have not actually explored very deeply, but um, you know, yeah, that there's, you know, a poem that's five lines. It's so easy for that to be an inspirational quote that has been lineated, you know, right. Um, right. which is not something that's particularly interesting to me. But at the same time, again, I, I know I have seen ones and some of the ones that I was looking at even to possibly talk about in this episode where I was like, I think this is really good. Also, I can't dissect it the same way that I normally do with a poem, um, right. which is part of the magic, maybe, of a truly short poem. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Mal and I have been watching uh, RuPaul's Drag Race and I've never watched it before, like sat down and really watched yeah. it. And I was like, and she, she was like, I just want someone to watch this show with and talk to me about it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can do that on a Friday night. Um, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. I don't know what's good and what's bad. And she's just like, well, what, what do you like? Like, what, what are they doing that you like? And I'm like, oh, if we're just talking like that. Then like this and this and this, but not that, not that, this, you know. Uh, so that's kind of how I am with short poems. Where it's wow. just like, oh, I like this, you know. Can Mal start teaching poetry classes? Because I think like every every like intro poetry teacher of all time, literally any level, like needs to start with that. Like yeah. stop worrying about what this means and tell me what you like about it. Right. You know, right. like yeah. what a a better way to enter any art form, you know. Any art form. Any yeah. art form, you know, yeah. Just like stop worrying, stop putting pressure on it, stop looking for some magic key and just yeah. like either like or dislike things, you know? Right. <laughs> it gives us something to talk about. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing I will say about short poems is, um, one, I want to shout out a friend from college who I have lost touch with um, and uh, don't know what she's up to now, but Aline Seat. Did you know her at Loyola? I don't think so. Uh, she was a master of, like, six-line poems. She was yeah. so, so good. And I think we shared a dorm room floor on in, in sophomore year, and she had a... Yeah. Uh, um, like a hand-drawn E.E. E. Cummings that red wheelbarrow poem. Mm-hmm. Or wait, is that William Clark's Williams? That's, that's William yeah, Williams. 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 My bad. Yeah. Um, uh, like handwritten out and hand-drawn with a red wheelbarrow on her door. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, right. And then um, uh, our friend Adrian Sobel, former guest in front of the show, um, I think in his book, he really makes good use of the short form because yeah. – that that whole book is like a single narrator. So you have like these lengthier poems and then you have like these little three liners. Right. And like, I think that 
that type of trick really works on me. Like if I'm reading a book. Sure, uh, sure, sure. You know, so. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking too, as you say that about Adrian's work and I'm thinking of, who am I thinking of? But just that idea of how like studying the short poem feels like a really good way to actually improve the, like the whole gamut, you know, yeah. of, I mean, again, this does just get into efficiency, but yeah, just like using space effectively using every word, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, in grad school, my friend August went through a, like, I'm going to just study a bunch of haiku and I don't know, he had some old, old haiku book or just like big haiku book and thinking about how that thinking so closely about, um, those tiny, tiny poems, can show up in, I think, exciting ways, even when you come back to expanding on the page. Yeah. And I think anytime I've, I've like sat down and read like a bunch of Basho, for instance, it's like, it all just kind of like adds up as maybe this is just my brain. And since Mm. I think in like long form so much more that, yeah, you just like read a bunch and then it just all kinds of kind of adds up to something that you can't really describe, but like really works kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, not to take us too far off course, uh, but in 30 seconds, it looks like Loyola is going to lock up a spot in the NCAA tournament. Shout All right, Loyola. Let's go. Let's go Ramblers. <laughs> Not that either of us pays particularly close attention to college basketball. But, I, uh, the college basketball games I watch are when Loyola is in the tournament, and a that's mi- A million percent. <laughs> and no problem jumping back on the bandwagon when we're good, now that we're apparently kind of good at least every other year. You know? Like, right. I'll take right. it. Exactly. I'll take it. Uh, all right. We'll read, we'll read, some, read poem. some poems. Let's read yeah, some poems. All right. Um, I struggled to choose one as per usual. And uh, you told me this one was Chris Core, which like makes a million percent sense. So that's why we're landing on it. Um, it's good my poetic our... sensibilities and my musical sensibilities. <laughs> <off the pitch. laughs> um, by our and my uh, culinary sensibilities. <laughs> oh, it's going to get weird once you start thinking about cooking the fish in this poem. <laughs> um, by uh, current poet laureate Joy Harjo, "Invisible Fish" is the name of the poem, and I admittedly have not read a ton of her work. I can remember an undergrad class where we read one of her collections, um, but a name that just you know has been around and doing interesting stuff um, for so long. And she's a very good podcast interview. I'm trying to remember, probably on Being. I think I heard her one time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, can can go some places. Um, so anywho, let's read this poem. Um, also, everybody take a shot. Bob's reading a uh, prose poem. It's a rare, <laughs> rare occasion. <laughs> uh, Invisible Fish. It's a real victory for me on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's coming up, Chris, today. Invisible Fish. Invisible Fish swim this ghost ocean now described by waves of sand by water-worn rock. Soon the fish will learn to walk. Then humans will continue ashore and paint dreams on the dying stone. Then later, much later, the ocean floor will be punctuated by Chevy trucks carrying the dreamer's descendants who are going to the store. Yeah, I really love this poem. This is so That's good. it. That's the whole poem. That's a poem. It's, it's so sh- good. It's short. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Uh, it is funny that you picked this one because um, 
today when I was procrastinating on writing the outline, mm-hmm. um, uh, the YouTube algorithm showed me this old cracked video, this old uh, after hours video where they were talking about Jurassic Park and they were talking about how I think it was Diplosaurus and Tyrannosaurus were like farther apart in history than Tyrannosaurus is to humans. Right. I was like, you might as well clone someone from like the year 3000 or whatever. And then the fish people that humans used to be and then put them in a park and be like, here you go, play together. (laughs) And it's just, it's funny because like, it's funny how much history this poem encapsulates in such a short period of time and just how, how many details are in there. Um, For sure. Yeah. I love it. Um, It's 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 a really, it's a fun lens to bring to this poem because it is, you know, at least in part about the scope of time and history. Um, and yeah. I've heard a similar dinosaur factoid, but like, I don't know, you know, in general, the way that like numbers get big enough where they just don't mean anything to us anymore. Um, right. Right. T- time. That's such an incredible one. Um, you know, to think of what a, you know, absolute uh, blip on the, the timeline a human life is modern human history is um, you know like all of that before time is is just so wildly unimaginable um yeah and and this does that kind of like condensing and expanding of time that only a poem can do yes <laughs> you know? yeah exactly exactly this is like um it's a little bit like the opening scene of 2001 a space odyssey how it's like <laughs> I love it. You've got the, the, the apes and they, you know, they throw the bone up in the air and it, and it, um, transforms into a spaceship, you know? Right. Kind of right. Thing. It's, it's like if it was that, but that scene was 30 seconds long. <laughs> Cause that's key. That scene is not 30 seconds long. No, that's, uh, that's that scene is like basically a short film. <laughs> uh, and it was incredibly jarring the first time I saw that movie. I was like, what are you all talking about? Um, <laughs> I think I actually watched that scene in a film class and then Uh, like later or no, I watched that scene in an anthropology class and then later for a film class, watched the whole movie. And I was like, well, the rest of this movie is really different. (laughs) Uh, All right. So let's get into it. Uh, Why this poem? You know, as we were saying, the short poem is so, so difficult and while I was looking at some ones that to me, um, I don't know, I feel like I've seen like retweeted or anthologized more, you know, truly stumbled upon this poem in, in kind of planning for this. And like, like you said, one, it, it blew me away, like just unexpected, exciting, and does seem to do something different as a short poem um, in that it covers a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. It. I guess it's maybe not like, like a singular observation. That's such a good way of putting it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not a singular observation. Um, and as both a short poem and a prose poem, I was excited by how much it still felt poemy and doing the poem things of, you know, it has this kind of like internal rhyme scheme. Um, I probably could mark up the meter. I did not, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, 
it reads both as poem and mythology. Um, it, it, when you get to Chevy trucks from Invisible Fish and Ghost Ocean, you know, it, it, it's such a jarring change in register in such a short amount of time. Um, you know, so, so the why is, is all of the things are happening in such a short <laughs> space. We gotta, we gotta celebrate that, you know? Yeah. A lot of the poem <laughs> things are happening. There's a lot of really good, um, a really good assonance, you know, invisible mm-hmm. fish, ghost, ocean, uh, ocean floor is just a great term, even though it's a common term. <laughs> right. Uh, common, uh, common term that is like not, it's more beautiful and, and interesting than it gets credit for, for sure. Yeah. Dreamers, descendants, I mean, that's consonants and assonance, but like, right. uh, yeah, or alliteration and assonance, whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of internal rhyme scheme. I didn't really pick up on that, but yeah, like ocean floor going to the store. Uh, walk and yeah. rock, I think is the other one. Yeah. Um, walk and rock. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, I, I am, I find myself very attuned to you know kind of sonic things and excited about sonic things in a poem and and maybe that's part of it is that i don't always look for those things in that short poem or i'm used to not looking for those things in a short poem um and it's all here she's doing it all um because she's she's great you know yeah that's why you read poems out loud which i do before every podcast but yeah i just don't always pick up on everything Um, (laughs) right right um yeah you're just like oh this sounds pretty Uh, so what's the move? We're we're getting into a, we're getting into um, composition a little bit already. What's the move? Gosh, this is where it stands out how little I planned for this episode um, because <laughs> I feel like I just laid out five different moves. Um, which one do I actually want to talk about? Um, you know, maybe it is kind of the the surprise of that opening line. I think might be what I want to zoom in on. Uh, invisible fish swim this ghost ocean now described by waves of sand, by water-worn rock. Um, I think the title in that first, the first two words, Invisible Fish, you know, kind of baits me into thinking of a different direction, um, of, of thinking of some sort of, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think why fish would be invisible. Um, yeah. But, you know, when I, when I read that sentence very literally, you know, they are invisible in the sense of they are fish from centuries and centuries and centuries ago. Right. 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 Um, and, and it's a ghost ocean in the sense of it's, again, this ocean of the past and the things that lived in that ocean, for the most part, are not alive anymore. Although that is like really, really messed up to think about. I don't know. Yeah. All the weird ocean creatures that have lived for <laughs> an absurd amount of time, you know, like, like yeah. these species that have seen way more history than we have that are super right. interesting. Love some know, ocean sharks critters. are older than trees. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> My mind immediately went to like, can you count the rings on a shark? If you cut one in half, which is a terrible <laughs> thing to think about. I don't want to hurt the sharks. I want the sharks to be safe, um, but yeah, the invisible fish in the invisible ocean. This concept of the ocean being being so ancient, we cannot like comprehend it. I wrote this article uh, for Cracked a little while ago. I think the headline. I don't write the headlines. The headline ended up being like six facts from Earth history that sound like science fiction or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there are two that stick out with me in this poem, and one is that. Um, before the continents broke up out of Pangaea and into just mm-hmm. continents, mm-hmm. it um, 
like reigned on earth for two million years um because pangea was so big that rain couldn't really reach the um reach past the coast so it just rained on the coast and the earth was just this arid dry desert and then a volcano in what's now like british columbia and washington um erupted for like another two million years and that (laughs) like messed up the atmosphere so much that it rained for two million years um and that's just a weird thing to think about because we think about the earth and the map that we have you know right the the current continental setup um and it's just it's just insane to think about it as like that same planet and then also in that article was that um whales started out basically as dogs (laughs) like whales were little like dog-like creatures with like like slightly like more flipper like um paws i guess than like regular dogs have and they just they ate by the shore and eventually started swimming and then eventually evolution just like self-selected uh uh the the these little dog creatures to become whales and they're like the (sighs) the biggest animals on the planet now. They used to be like, you know, golden retrievers. <laughs> and oh so, yeah, when you, when you, when you think about the scope of time and especially to bring us back to the poem, just like, you know, the fact that yeah, humans and, and mammals did kind of evolve from like fish basically. And now we're, their descendants are driving Chevy trucks to the store, you know? <laughs> Um, I'm going to force us into the last question because I'm, otherwise I would do that thing where I start answering it before you've even asked it. Sure. Yeah. Um, because exactly what you're saying for me is what makes me think about, you know, what this poem does for me beyond the page um, is I, I think you're, you're like parallel to um, the way we think of the continents and the map is so helpful for me because like, that's one of those things that's so great of like, we think of the map as static, Right. right? Right. Um, and like nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> oh, it's it's going to shift in our lifetimes. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. It's like constantly moving. I mean, also you can throw on another layer, uh, uh, that's beyond the, that's well beyond the poem. Um, you know, but the layer of like the lines of nations on maps and like how absurd that is and how right. constantly changing that is. Um, how changing that is from like 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But for me, that's a lot of, I think what this poem is asking me to do, um, and I think a lot of poems that I like you're asking me to do, but just to like stop and observe a little bit closer and not take so much for granted as like, this is the way it is. Um, This is a poem that's kind of reminding us that like change is like the only thing we can rely on um, and the way that we aren't static and we are, constantly in motion and part of this like bigger shifting thing um i'm not gonna remember the name of it because it's in my bag i'm reading this mushroom book right now and this it feels oh yeah, really aligned, the other day. yeah. Uh, uh, it feels really aligned with a mushroom book um about in the way that like a lot of the ch- like changes in nature are so like happenstance um and you know like we're all constantly changing things around us just by like kind of like bumping into it by living our lives you know yeah Um, yeah yeah uh 
I don't know where I'm going with this. This is whew, getting a real. Uh, what's the, I'm so at a loss for words for a second. All of a sudden, <laughs> I was doing so good. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, that's where this poem is 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 taking me. Um, I think there's one way that I want to read this about the Chevy going to the store as like kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, I think, I think Chevy trucks is a deliberate choice because of like gas guzzling trucks kind of thing. Right, going, right. And the store, when I hear store, I picture supermarket and that those Same. are inherently wasteful right. places. Um, right. I think that's a deliberate choice, but that, that also might just be me putting my own shit on it. Um, yeah, but but I mean, again, I, I think you're right to point to those are, you know, that's it's incredible that store even would have that much, but those are, that's language. that's you know, loaded with enough meaning beyond, uh, you know, uh, connotative meaning, you know, that right. I think she has to be trying to do something there. Um, so I, I fully agree that for me, there's a way that that brings up this kind of like almost sadness and negativity at the end. But I do think the poem is asking for more than that. I don't think it's as simple as, um, I don't know, that the invisible fish are somehow better. Um, right. think, no, think, yeah, no. I think it is pointing to like the cycleness of it all. Um, I don't think I don't think it's saying that like yeah we we should go back to some imagined past of like hunter gatherers in paradise, right? Like right. Talking about the scope of time, kind of. Thing. Yeah, and the way things change and shift. There's a really great way in the last sentence. Then later, much later, the ocean floor will be punctuated by Chevy trucks, where. You know, what she literally means, again, is, you know, like that the truck is driving on what used to be an ocean floor. Right. But but I at least get a split second of a Chevy truck driving on the actual ocean floor image, you know. Sure. And um, there was a uh, a freighter just went down last week I saw that was like carrying a bunch of cars. <laughs> so I think like in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere there are a bunch of cars. Chevy's on the ocean right now. Oh, yeah. But what about the supply chain? What are we going <laughs> to but yeah, for me, there's there's something this is pointing to of t- time and the history that we're part of, and yeah, it, it's making me think of the, uh, an old dilapidated Chevy truck that will one day be on a different ocean floor. Um, yeah, yeah. As whatever, and I, I like the casualness of later, much later. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, like, absolutely. Just like oh yeah, later. It'll happen. It'll happen. Um I I have to this is a complete shift shifting gears as as I want to do. Uh the verb there punctuated I really liked, but I it made me stop and go up. I, I do think for me the, the 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 most beautiful moment of this is the ghost ocean now described by waves of sand. Um, yeah, that was an interesting choice. Yeah. Right? Described as such a... Never would have thought to use that verb there. Um, but it, it gets into, I don't know, the way that... You know, obviously the sand is moving around under there and making little mountains or whatever. But also, I don't know, there's a way that it points to writing, almost. Like the sand is doing some writing of the ocean floor. Yeah, the ghost I like ocean. That. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm all about it. Yeah. I... I should stop talking because I'm just gushing as we do. <laughs> as we do. As is our wife. <sighs> as right. children of God. Oh. 
Um, one, one final thought I have about this poem is, um, I like this view of time, I think in high school or maybe early, early in college. Okay. Um, I read some poem by some loser like Percy Shelley or something. Um, and, uh, it was like a, um, it was a love poem and it was talking about like wanting to immortalize his lover in a poem. Like, like the, the written word was a way to achieve immortality mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, you know, impressionable, like 16 or 17, 18, 19 year old, whatever I was who, you know, wanted to make a mark on the world like that, like right. really rang out to me. And right. Stuff. And now I'm just kind of like, man, I just want to write my little books and, you know, support my <laughs> friends, you know, like that's right. I want it to be good. You know, that would love to be read in a high school classroom 500 years from now. But, right. You know, like, I don't know, I guess as I've, as I've aged, I, I, I'm not like that grandiose or have those like delusions anymore and stuff. Yeah. And I just, I like this. Some may find it like terrifying, but I, I, I like this more peaceful version of, history where like things happen and and like there right. are changes and planets change and things like that yeah. and um uh yeah we talk about climate change a lot in this show but like you know obviously like we shouldn't accelerate the earth's demise or anything like that you know, we shouldn't be passive about the way we treat the earth but right. like i like this view of it as it's like like taking the long view of mm-hmm. geological history like yeah i really appreciate that about this poem yeah yeah much more than i'm gonna make you immortal by writing a sonnet <laughs> <laughs> oh just just hating on shelly we don't even know if it was shelly i don't even know if it was shelly <laughs> Oh my gosh! You've got to read a you've got to read us a poem, but I do just want to paint a quick picture for the reader of uh, out my my window. I am currently watching my neighbor chop wood. Um, which... Bob's bragging about having trees again. <laughs> we love trees. <laughs> All right, read, read me a poem. All right, yeah, let me pull it up. So this poem is "Ghosting" by Andrea Cohen. How cavalier people are with language and with silence. Any ghost will tell you the last thing we mean to do is leave you. That's the poem. It's a a short poem. It's a short 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 poem. Mine mine looks short, but it took a minute to read. Yours is a short poem. Short poem. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Tell me uh, why this poem. I mean, I can guess a little bit. I was happy that we have like ghosts as a little bit of a theme here. Um, yeah. Also yeah. very Chris Core. Um, yes. So yeah. Tell me uh, how it we came on this ghosts, poem. So yeah, uh, very Chris <laughs> Core. Um, yeah, you know, like like we've been talking about a little bit this episode that you know short poems are kind of like a a feel thing. Um, uh, so when one hits me, it hits me. Um, mm-hmm. This got retweeted on my timeline. This was published in, um, I think, the October 2021 version uh, issue of The Atlantic. Yeah. Um, yeah, just got, like, came, 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 across, came across my proverbial desk and stuck with me. Um, it's just like, I want to I wanna read this one. I want to explore this a little bit. Um, and I, I really, I can't really say what it is about it. It just, 
just hit me. I mean, yeah, I do like ghosts, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, just, just jumped out at me and it's been, I kind of, I kept the tab open probably <laughs> since October, 2021 for oh. us, to, us to do this one. <laughs> Uh, until I until I took the screenshots to send you, that's when I closed the tab. <laughs> I, I got to restart my computer at some point. Oh jeez! And I don't subscribe to the Atlantic, so I'm you know. Right. <laughs> only get a well, few free articles. <laughs> I, I mean, we we need to give ourselves uh, the credit uh, that sometimes why why we chose the poem is is just uh, I saw the poem and I liked the poem, um, uh, and I. I had a brief image of uh, the proverbial desk being Twitter and just like things flying across it. And it's like, that's a miserable image. I need to escape. It, it might that. as well be. <laughs> I have like a but, few websites I go to, but yeah. Maybe to, uh, to get us into the poem, let's just uh, take Mal's advice and uh, tell me uh, what you like about it. What are some things we can point to? Well, <laughs> I don't want to name drop a show, but I really... <laughs> I really like the line breaks in this poem. There's some uh, Emily Dickinson esque mm-hmm. yep. um, M dashes at the end of a bunch of lines, but especially especially the uh, any ghost will line break tell you M dash stands a break. The last thing line break we mean stands a break to do line break is leave you, and it just. The way it mm-hmm. reads in my head is just is just great. Like, I don't know. I just think it. <laughs> they just work they for me. It. I don't know. They they just do it for me. They it yeah. It's it's a short poem with right. short lines, even for a short poem, you know. And um, yeah, it just it just it just hits right. It's just <laughs> like yes, you made all the right, right. decisions. Here. Right. No notes. You're, you're, like, um... you, you did it. Yeah. So we briefly talked before the show. I was I was trying to place Andrea Cohen's name. I was like, I know that name. I know that name. Um, and then I yeah, I googled her and I I I saw. Um, I was like, oh, I absolutely know this person. They run um, a reading series in Boston, um, the Blacksmith House reading series, and the poems are all short like this. I I don't think I've read a full collection, but it reminded me of that. And as you were talking about it just now, because I fully agree with that. Like that, sometimes you just know you know those line breaks are working. I'm reminded of like that awful attitude of you go to an art museum and someone's just like, why is this art? I can do that. And that to me is part of the short poem. Right. Like, yeah. Thing is, is yeah. As I look at this, you know, these lines are two or three words long across the board. I can put two or three line words yeah. into a line and break them up, but I don't. Right. It's, I don't it's think doable. I do you that. just write a sentence and then just yeah. chop it up. <laughs> like, like, right. Right. And I don't know what the difference is, and I, it, it sounds a little snobby when you say it like that, but that's not that's not it. It's just like, right? It's just like right. sometimes you just like Absolutely. hit gold with it, you know? Any ghost, oof. yeah. And like the uh, uh, that you bring up that attitude of like going to the art museum, and someone's like, you know, why is right. Jackson Pollock art or whatever? Like a third, a three-year-old could draw this. Let me tell you, a three-year-old could not make a Pollock because I have a three-year-old. And, and, and you, uh, <laughs> you keep uh, hanging him uh, from the ceiling and giving him paint to throw down on a canvas and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but I give him a bunch of CIA money first. <laughs> um. <laughs> no. Um. 
Yeah, but it, it, it really is like, it's one of those, you just like know it when you see it kind of art forms. And that's can maybe be a little frustrating to discuss and frustrating to, um, to try to figure out, but I don't know. I think it's wonderful when it happens. I mean, I write instrumental music. Like, what does um, instrumental music mean? You know, um, I mean, it's not cavalier with silence, as the poem talks about. <laughs> it's very intentional with the silence. That's, that's true. That's true. We are not. <laughs> I, am, I am not cavalier with my silence. <laughs> um, as I read, especially that opening part how cavalier people are with language and with silence. I've done this before on the show, but I'm like, mm, I want to make this an Ars Poetica and that it's like about writing poems. <laughs> I don't know if I could actually go for it, go for get it. There. Um, but I mean, that is part of the deal with poetry is not being cavalier with both language and with silence, being intentional about it and thinking about it and, and trying to in precision. Right. Right. Any ghost will tell you the last thing we mean to do is leave you. Um, to me, that just does ring true of, and we've certainly talked about this before, but one of the things that is most, I was about to say satisfying, that might not be the right word, but maybe that I like about poetry, but also that might not be it. But um, writing a poem more than anything else in the world like keeps me attached to memories. I can so distinctly remember yeah, like where yeah. I was when I was writing a poem and also like the thing in my life that helps bring the poem about whether it's explicitly about that or not. So going back to the other poem, poetry for me has this inherent time travel thing, you know, and is a way to, yeah, to keep sure. my ghosts from ever leaving yeah. me. Um, if that's a thing that I want to do, I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. You know, that's a, 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 pr- a pretty half-baked interpretation of the poem. But, you know, if you if you gave me this poem in a blue book and asked me to write yeah. it, it's probably the direction I would go. Right. No, that's <laughs> a good direction. The direction I would go, um, I was thinking, uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm doing the, uh, <laughs> the AP high school level, yeah, blue book essay, <laughs> um, is that, like, you know, I think my belief in ghosts isn't, like, you know, sheet clad spirits, like literally walking around your house and stuff like that. But like the memories that you hold on to and stuff and, um, how cavalier people are with language and with silence. Um, do you, do you have this when you move to a new place? You moved a lot. When you move to a new place, you just hear, Mm. you hear different Mm -hmm. things, especially like late at night. Sure. And it, it takes a while to get used to it. And like, I, I don't know, I'm like really in tune with, I don't have the best hearing or anything, but like, I can hear everything mm. in my house. I know exactly what everyone's doing, like all the time. And uh, um, and it's not like I have thin walls or anything, but I like I know when my neighbor's mm. like uh, cleaning professional is over. You know, I know what like what room my neighbors are working in and stuff like that. Um, and like, but for a while there, when we first moved in, you know, mm-hmm. everything was mm-hmm. new, and so everything was a little scary. You know, <laughs> and I think. I think a lot of ghost belief and like spiritualism is like people being unable to separate like memories of friends, family, loved ones, and just like the weird noises a house makes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, and it's like you, you're sitting alone in silence. Uh, you're sitting up, you know, maybe it's late at night or maybe it's just a quiet time in the day and you hear something 
and you think that must be that must be old so and so, you know. So yeah, and and then like the that turn at the end of the uh, the last thing a right. ghost ever needs to do is is uh, leave you. Um, it's just like we're not, you know, like I don't believe in literal ghosts, so it's like it's kind of like a family member dies right. on you. It's like they they don't mean to leave you, but they, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the only way they do leave you is if you thing. do some forgetting, That's you right. know. Yeah. Um, I had not noticed yeah, it until you exactly. literally just yeah. pointed me back to the line. Uh, it feels pretty huge, this poem, that it's a, it's a we uh, towards the end. The last thing we mean to do, making making the speaker a ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay. I, know. Ooh, I don't know what to do with that. That's, it's so that's subtle. Good. You don't even think. Yeah, you don't really <laughs> overthink it unless you do overthink it. Yeah, I also am like, oof. Right. Now, now I've got a ghost lingering over this poem. <laughs> well, that leads nicely into what's oh, beautiful. Page, so I was about to ask. You've got some ghosts in the house. Oh, <laughs> it's my fear of death, Bob. It's my fear of death. Take another shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was never afraid of death. I was, I was never. I was a pretty reckless teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not surprising. I drove really fast. Oh. I boxed. I did like all, I skateboarded. Like I did all kinds of bad stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, just reckless, reckless, reckless. And then when I was 22, when I graduated college, and I kind of didn't know what the next step in life was yet. Um, you know, I had my goals and my ideas. I was flying home to Tennessee and there was some turbulence on the plane. Mm. And I was like, I haven't finished any of my books yet. I haven't actually right. done anything except graduate college. And what if I yeah. die with all this unfinished work? And that's when I really started fearing death. And that passed, that went away. And then probably about six months later, I was working on those tour boats on the Chicago River and Lake. And there was some turbulent waters in Lake Michigan. Is turbulent the right term? Um, uh, like there's some choppy you're waves in Lake Michigan. And <laughs> <laughs> choppy waves is the term we're going with. <laughs> and the uh, the railing of the boat actually touched the uh, mm. touched the uh, the water. And I was like, in that moment, I was only afraid of death because I didn't want to die in my work uniform. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going down in this work uniform. <laughs> Um, but then, and you know, that passed and, you know, but like both, both incidents obviously stuck with me. Mm. And then when my kid was born, I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I got to take care of myself. I had this like moment of realization when he was like 18 months old. I was like, I've sacrificed everything for you. I have quit my job. I take care of you all the time. And you're probably barely starting to form memories. Mm. Like if I got hit by a car tomorrow, right. you'd be like, I sort of remember my dad. And I've recalibrated my entire life, you know. Um, and, you know, beyond that, it's like, well, also I just want right. to, you know, yeah. be there for him and stuff and watch him grow up and like, you know, all that stuff. So like, I am just <laughs> every day absurdly afraid of dying. <laughs> that line, the last thing we ever mean to do is leave you. For sure. Uh, just, yeah. you know, struck a chord, just like hit me, you know. Um, I know people in the audience are probably sick of me talking about my kid, but uh, <laughs> it's literally what I do all day. Hang so, out with you know. and worry about dying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, a, 
Some cheery stuff for us to be thinking about. <laughs> cheery. It's hey, very right. cheery. Yeah, good, good note to end on. Aww. He is. He's a um, smiley dude. I mean, luckily that's not the note we always end on. That's true. Don't call over the audience. Yeah. Because this year's slam dunk contest did not that's satisfy true. anyone. This year's slam dunk contest was uh, <laughs> I did not, not a short either, so I. <laughs> oh, man. It was brutal. It was like. It was kind of like. Because mm-hmm. the three point contest was pretty good. And then, you know, just. I like All Star sure. Saturday. I'll defend All Star Saturday yeah. all the time. Um, you know, I missed the uh, Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon one because I was on my honeymoon. <laughs> I was like having the time of my life. We were on a cruise ship. You know, it was great. It was so fun. I get home, check the news, and I'm like, what the <laughs> I could have been watching that. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> I got mad at my honeymoon, <laughs> which was paradise. <laughs> Sorry that a slam dunk contest did not make the agenda for the honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, focused on other things. But um, but yeah, this year's dunk contest, it was just kind of like, it was like a slow motion train wreck where it's just like, I keep waiting for it to get good and then it just doesn't. I have a, God, years ago too, I, I haven't thought of this in so long, but uh. I remember a fight with an ex that, like, you know, if I did the the history of it, it's like one of the ones like oh, that's where it was about to that that's where it was starting to go wrong, and it was like during the All Star game. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and I, I do I think of it every All Star weekend. I was like, oh, that's where things are going south. <laughs> so two very on brand stories for us. <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of, I was going to say, um, so this is kind of, I'm going to start with like a pretty broad question and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll lead into it. All right. Your favorite short NBA player. <laughs> um, speaking of slam dunk contests, Spud Webb, you know, mm-hmm. is one that always comes to mind. Muggsy Bowes, of course, Earl Boykins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the classic, like, you know, under six feet guys. Right. Um, and I'm always going to be sentimental about Muggsy because I grew up in the 90s. Right. But there was something, and I don't, this guy doesn't necessarily qualify as short, short. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, Dan Devine article in The Ringer this week that talked about um, one of the reasons Steph Curry's game resonates so much with so many people is his relatively small stature makes it easier for fans to relate to him. Few of us can fathom, I'm quoting from Dan, yeah, what it would be like to stand seven feet tall and overwhelm other elite athletic marvels with sheer power, but casting yourself as a six foot two, one hundred eighty five pound guy, a guy who looks a lot like more, a lot more like people we might interact with on the regular, save for the part where his jumper always goes in, seems lower by comparison. And then it struck me on Monday night as John Morant was putting up fifty two points mm-hmm. that John Morant is basically an inverse of Steph Curry. Because he's mm. six foot three, 174 pounds, and no one you know who is six foot three can do that. Right. No right. one you know can do this who's six foot three, and you probably know a lot of six foot three people can do what John Morant does. <laughs> um, and I just thought that was a cool observation. I was like, sure. oh, yeah, that's kind of, 
that's fun, you know, because there are a lot of short dudes in the NBA, Chris Paul, Allen Iverson, guys we talk right. about a lot, John Stockton. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, the fact always that... bring it back to Stockton. We don't talk about him anymore. <laughs> Anti-vaxxer John Stockton. <laughs> well, you know, he's your favorite player, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, the fact that John Morant is, like, I can picture John Morant in real life, but I can't mm. picture someone who is John Morant doing what he does. Mm. I thought was pretty cool. Uh-huh. You are right. Every six foot three person I know is pretty clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not effortlessly cool. <laughs> I got to a... I I, I jump in with some, uh, some, uh, some Steph slander, though. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, uh, I get... I secretly want this podcast to end. <laughs> <laughs> I get why this perception happens of Steph being this somehow relatable and seemingly not, you know, doesn't seem to have the athletic prowess of other NBA players when you look at him. I, I get that whole thing. Um, right. It just always is one of the things that made me laugh and oh, it bothered me a little bit. But just this perception, this this narrative of Steph as underdog to me was just always so funny. And like, it, it's fun. I, I looked it up because you called him six foot two, and I was like, for years he was listed at six foot three. That's <laughs> what I thought. I thought he was. Yeah. I thought he was six four actually. But yeah. I thought I think he was listed six foot three. I think when they did the new measurements, this might you know they took off their shoes yeah. or whatever they did. Um, yeah. But yeah, to, to me it was just always that funny thing of of you know compared to Earl Blinkins. Five foot nine, I think. Five eight, five seven. Uh, I don't know. Boykins was five five, I think. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah but Muggsy's five know, three. Boykins five five, and Spud Webb is uh, five seven, I think. Right. Um. You know, like Steph is still a very tall man. Um, yeah. 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 And, and a very. I am not athlete. supposed to be tall. <laughs> right. Right. Um. And was the son of an NBA player. Um. You know. Right. So maybe he was under recruited to college, but this idea of him being this underdog. And so relatable to me. It was just a hilarious narrative. And I get it. Steph's great. A delight to watch. And, like, seemingly a generally really good person. I will stop right. slandering him. But uh, And also, <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the oh, like, he's, you know, you can't win with a guy like that or whatever. I think, I mean, I, did, I do think it started with Monte Ellis being like, well, you can't have two small guys in the backcourt when they right. drive him or whatever. But it's also like, if you look at that guy's arms, if you look at Steph Curry's arms, if you met someone like that in real life, you'd be like, holy God, dude. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, and he also, he runs so much. Like when they started measuring um, how many miles players run, this mm, was like yeah, yeah. maybe like 10 years ago or something. Like the top two every year were Steph Curry and Joakim Noah for a while. It was just <laughs> like, they just run all over the court. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah, so Steph Curry's basically a guy who can like bench press 400 pounds, run a marathon during a game and still just hit 30 footers in the fourth quarter. Right. Yeah. He looked bad in a couple of finals because he got slammed at the basket by LeBron James and Tristan Thompson. Like, yeah, you'd be shaken up too. Like, uh, all right. That was not the direction the question was supposed to go. We had, we had to get our step thoughts out. Um, yeah. so is it, who is my favorite short player? Yeah. Short player. Just a, yeah. Any short player you're sentimental about. Um, I mean, as you were asking, you know, because Muggsy is like the deep. Stockton was six one, so you, you know. I was gonna say, well, I was gonna get to that. Uh, Muggsy is like the deep, obvious player, and and like it makes sense that he was such a cherished, cherished guy, uh, you know. Because I'm trying to remember who who talked about it this way, but you know, like a a five foot three guy in the NBA has to be so much more skilled than pretty much yeah. everybody else. You know? And he like led the league in steals a couple. Yeah, of years. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he said Earl Boykins, who was gonna be like my next like thought. 
Um, Solid six minute for a while there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was trying to think of more, you know, short cards. Obviously, huge Chris Paul fan here. Um, and then I was like, uh, I just thought of him recently because I was watching a Timberwolves broadcast. Uh, but uh, he's actually six foot one, so I don't know if he qualifies. I was thinking of Pooh Richardson, Clippers legend. Oh yeah, <laughs> not a very good player, but had a, a short and uh, delightful Clippers run. He did have a good Clippers run. I yeah. remember. I think I had a. I think I had a basketball card of him on the Clippers. Very nice. Uh, but yeah, six foot one feels like that shouldn't qualify. Um, I think it needs to be under six feet to be a, a considered short guy. Yeah, yeah. You brought you brought up the Timberwolves. That made me think of Terrell Brandon, who I think was five eleven. He was five eleven, uh, yeah. and he was awesome. He was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was. A lot I feel of fun. like there was an injury or something that kind of slowed him down, but he was really good for a while. Yeah, I had a like, good like five, six year run, I think. Like, yeah. like a young career, then a mid career, then an injury. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Who are you thinking? Who's coming to mind? Uh, I mean, the John Moran story was my answer. That's but, where you um, wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. Six foot He's three. He's six foot three. So, you know. <laughs> um, I will say, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll give a shout out to a spot. We don't, we could bring up both Isaiah Thomas's. Isaiah. Right. Pistons legend was six feet, I think. Generously mm-hmm. listed at six feet, and right. the um, Celtics MVP candidate was five nine. Right. Um, but I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, Spud Webb. My parents were living in Atlanta before I was oh, born, nice. right around the time when uh, the Spud Webb and Doc Rivers and Dominique Wilkins, mm-hmm. Kevin Willis, um, Hawks <laughs> way were to, way to throw Kevin Willis. <laughs> Kevin Willis, who played for two decades. My gosh. He does not get enough respect for playing for it <laughs> as long as he did. Um, especially since his skills, I think, were being built like a concrete wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need that. You need you it. Get a rebound and knock people over with the screens. That's about <laughs> all I can do. So, yeah, I'll go. Um, I'll give a special shout out to Spud Webb because. Uh, I'm not really a fan of any Atlanta teams, but I <laughs> will always get excited when an Atlanta team is good. Right, know? right, yeah. We we love the four All Star Hawks who are going to lose in the playoffs every year. My guys, <laughs> my guys, Jeff T, was... Joe Johnson, Kyle Korver, Al Horford, Josh Smith. Let's go. I guess Josh Smith was a little bit before that. He played with some uh, Al, Al Horford. Yeah, you brought yeah. Up Horford. Yeah, yeah, uh, Horford. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's Horford, Korver. Who Joe was Johnson. The... No, Joe Johnson wasn't on that team, I don't think. Yeah, he was. There's Horford, Corfer, Horford, Jeff Corver, Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague. Um, Paul Millsap. Oh, Millsap. Think... And then the other one was a guy who I got think... injured that year, the junkyard dog. What was his name? The junkyard dog? Yeah. Um uh, the small forward for that team. Um Damari Carroll? Demari Carroll, that was it. Yeah, um, he had a year where he was like the best player on that team in the playoffs, and it was absurd because like he was just the extra guy, but he definitely right. like he was played the, better he was than the fifth else. man. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, man, like, uh, that that stink of that season, the sixty-one and sixty, right, a sixty-one twenty-one season where they had four All Stars, they had the entire starting lineup named as Player of the Month one year or one month. <laughs> And uh, then just totally flamed out in the playoffs. That was going to be Mike Budenholzer's legacy until mm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, yep, dude can't coach in the playoffs. And 
Then Giannis came along. Got close to that again last year. Got close. Yeah. Got close. A a Kevin Durant shoe slip away. Honestly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Playoffs are coming up soon. Ah. I am ready for the playoffs. This season feels long. This season's felt long and weird. Like, so many people have gotten COVID and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So many injuries and... It's been a weird year. For sure. Yeah, I am pumped for playoffs, um, but we still have a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got some home stretch. And, I mean, that'll be fun because there'll be, you know, sorting of, you know, because it's, there's parity this year. There's real parity this year. Yeah. The um, West is not. The West does not look good right now. West is not stacked. Yeah. Um, the East, but, like, they're going to be 10 decent teams in the in the in the uh, plan but like yeah there are like four good teams in the east Five, brooklyn just brooklyn just lost again and they're the eighth seed right now you know like yeah it's gonna be it's gonna it's be gonna something be, it's gonna be hilarious if both brooklyn and la miss the uh <laughs> miss the playoffs or are at least in the play and even if they're both in the play and that's right. gonna be really funny right um i'm starting to think that might actually be just how it goes you know as yeah. i think both of them seventh seed is optimistic lakers it's yeah. definitely extra optimistic um, yeah you know. uh, lebron scored 56 last night and they barely won i'm aware i'm facing a, a lebron team in my fantasy <laughs> <laughs> very aware of how much he scored last night <laughs> i love how the lakers are playing terribly and you're like well, my fantasy league, though. Can't even be happy about the Lakers being bad. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've, I've just softened. You know, when, when, when your team goes, uh, is what, I think it's something like 31-7 and seven against the Lakers over the past however many years, yeah, my, my, dis, my distaste for them softens. We got their number. It's fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. I think we should call it a show because I think we did pretty okay today. I think we did okay. Yeah. yeah. I think we're, Not... you know, nice and uh, focused. Not bad. Relative to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our music producer is Brennan Johnson. Our artist is A.M. Strickland. And we'll be back next week.